All right, Philippians chapter one. It did make me smile. It makes me so happy. It makes you so. It makes me happy too. Uh, obviously, over there. Uh, Philippians chapter one. Let's go down to verse twenty-seven. Uh, we're going to read this section again. And and last week, you know, we didn't get to finish up. So I'm sure you've been sitting on the edge of your seats as if, you know, waiting for your, the next episode of your favorite show that comes on once a week. Uh, here we're going to finish up this passage in Philippians chapter 1. So Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. Let's stand in the honor of reading uh, the word of our Lord. Again, we are uh, standing physically, uh, but it would mean nothing if in our hearts we were not esteeming the word of our God. But outward things can be a good reminder of that. Beginning of verse 27. Only let your manner of life, let your citizen be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All right, you may be seated. So just a reminder of of what's sort of going on here. Paul uh, Paul is in prison here, but he he doesn't want the Philippians uh, to be discouraged uh, about, you know, God's promises for the last days, the things that they'd read about, like in Isaiah 60 and stuff like that. The gospel is supposed to sweep uh, the nations. And so he tells them that, that rather than hindering the gospel, His imprisonment, which you would think if the one who's supposed to take the gospel to the nations is imprisoned, that that would hinder the gospel. His imprisonment has actually been used to advance the gospel, to strike the gospel out. But what about, and he goes into, you know, what about these bad preachers? And he says, even, even, even the bad preachers are being used to advance the gospel here. God's even using these crooked sticks during that time to to advance the kingdom of Christ. So, so what does Paul want them to do? What does he want to do when, it, when they see the enemy's plans, when they're dealing with the, uh, the things that they need to be delivered from by the, the evil one, when they face what the evil one is trying to bring on them, what does their being delivered from evil, being delivered from the evil one, what does that, what does that look like? How does he want them to fight this battle, this spiritual war that they're in? This battle that, again, it's not just a battle that the apostles fight. It's their fight, too. And with them, our fight. And he tells them, he wants them to live as as worthy citizens of the gospel. I want you to to live as those who've been made citizens of the the kingdom of, of Christ. I want you to live worthy of that life. And so, because they bear the name of, of Christ, because they are his they want to do honor to that name. That's the chief thing he wants. Only, as he started, he said, only this, only let your manner of life, only citizen yourself worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, how can they do that? He gave them, last week we saw one thing. He, gives, he, asks, he tells them, I want you to do this one thing. And what does he want them to do? He wants them to stand. 
So only let your manner of life be worthy, only citizen worthy of the gospel. What is the one thing I want to hear? I want to hear that you stand. And then he gives them three ways that he wants them to stand. He wants them to stand uh, as, as one or stand in one. He wants them to, to fight and strive together. So he wants them to be one. He wants to, to, to uh, striving side by side. That's the second one. So what is the third one? The one that we didn't get to last week, but we're looking at this week. Look at it. Uh, it's going to start in verse 28. And this. So we've got one. He wants you to be one. One mind, one spirit, one, one soul, one spirit. Or one spirit, one soul. Striving side by side, fighting together, soon fighting, soon striving, uh, together fighting, together striving. It's one word, smashing those two things together. Well, what does he want them to do next in verse 28? This is the third thing. So we, how do we stand? We stand as one. Uh, we, we stand and we fight. And the third thing, we, are, we stand by being ready for anything. Ready for anything. So what is the life worthy of the citizen of, of Christ's King Paul sees you, He wants to see them standing. How does, he want them to see, how does he want them to stand? He wants them to stand as one. He wants them to stand and fight together. But then in verse 28, he says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So I want you to stand as one, one spirit, one soul, striving together, fighting together, fighting side by side, standing and fighting. So the standing is not passive. It is an active Activity, and then last, not frightened by anything, ready for anything. There's nothing the enemy can do that you and I should not be prepared for, that we should not be expecting. Now, this is, this is an interesting verse because the word there for frightened is built off the Greek word for spit, to spit. Uh, and you can, it's just a great, it's a great word picture because here you've got, have you ever been so scared that you like spit? It's like, it's like a biblical spit take here. It's like being so afraid, like, uh, like that, that expectorant sort of surprise. It just, uh, what has happened? That's the level of fright he's talking about. Being so frightened that you're just shocked by it. It's the fright of the unexpected. It's the fright of something you're not prepared for. But in our spiritual war, we stand and we aren't jarred. We don't spit by what the enemy does. We don't freak out. We're not frightened. We're not like, oh, no, I never expected this. There's nothing the enemy can do. We aren't caught off guard. Why? Why are we not caught off guard? Why are we able to stand because we're ready for it? If you're not ready for it, you might fall. It might be such a surprise that you spit. So unexpected. How can we stand? Because we are, uh, two things. One, we're standing in faith. And also because we know our enemy. We know our enemy. And, 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 and what are we not caught off guard by? Look at what Paul says. Not frightened. So not shocked. In other words, ready for. So he says, not frightened by Anything. Now, in, the, in the Greek, it's not frightened by not one thing. Not frightened by not one thing. Or, or we would say not frightened by no thing. Again, you can't do it in the English because we have decided double negatives 
you cannot do, which I would always tell my teacher, God used double negatives in the Bible. Uh, and then she was like, well, uh, go see the principal, you know, uh, <laughs> like smart mouth little kid. No, uh, so here we do see, we do see a double negative here. Not frightened by not one thing. The, idea, the what word is repeated there, the idea of not, 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 not. You're not frightened. You're not surprised. You're not shocked by not one thing that, that, that the enemy might do. So we get a, a repeat of the word not. We also get a repeat of the word one. Remember, we saw we stand as one. Well, here the word one is repeated again, but this time with what the enemy does. And he says, we're not shocked. We're not frightened by not one thing. There is not one possible thing the enemy could do that would frighten us. Not one thing that he does. Not one thing that surprises us. Not one thing that shocks us. Not one thing that here we are standing and that happens and because we couldn't believe it. We stand because we're not shocked by anything. There's not one thing that the enemy can do as Christians. Meaning that as Christians, we are ready for the evil one to bring anything against us. And if we're ready for anything and then there's not one thing that he can do that would shock us because we're ready for anything. Not one thing that would break our standing. This isn't, I mean, you think about it. What do we have? We've, it's, like, it's like the enemy doesn't know, or maybe he just assumes we don't read the Old Testament. Uh, you know, we've got the book of Job, right? We've got the book of Job. Uh, and so uh, the, the evil one could, could do a lot. I mean, the evil one could come and he could kill our families. And he could take our homes and he could destroy us with disease. And if he did, we wouldn't be shocked. It wouldn't shock us. In fact, we would go, hey, you've already done this one, right? You've already done this before. There is a whole book about it, dummy. Uh, I've already seen it. And I know how it turns out. I know how the story ends. When this is over, I'm going to win even more than I was winning before. And you're going to lose. I know it. So, so even at that level, even if the enemy were to do those extreme things, we would be able to say, hey, I know what happens here. And, and probably any other thing that you can think of, any other one thing that you can think of would probably be less than that. So we've already seen the extreme. And we know that in the end, God's people win even more than they did at the beginning. Their, their blessings are doubled. And the enemy loses. Now, for this to be the case, for us to be ready to stand and not be frightened by anything, for us to not be scared of not one thing that the enemy can do, then we must be ready for anything that the enemy might do. And, and here's, here's some, some Christian wisdom here that, I've, that, I've, that, that is, is good for us. We... There must never be, when you're thinking about what the enemy could do against you, there must never be something you don't prepare yourself for because you think he could never or they would never. Surely my spiritual war is all going to look like this. It would ne- Surely that would never happen in the battle. Surely this would never be taken from me. Surely this would never happen to me. You've got to understand, Christian. I mean, when you became a believer, when the Lord took you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you in the kingdom of light, he put a, a crosshairs on your chest. And he put it on your family. He put it on your home. 
And you understand, this is war. This is war that you are a part of, a, a cosmic war against principalities and powers. He wants, I mean, I mean Job, Job is not an anomaly in terms of the enemy's desire for God's people. Job just didn't, or God, Satan just didn't super hate Job. I just really don't like that guy. I've never thought about doing this to any of your other children, God, but I got some crazy thoughts for Job. I mean, Satan wants to kill your family. He wants to. He wants to take your children from you. He wants the seed to end with you. He wants all the promises that God made about not just to the third and fourth generation, but to a thousand generations. He wants those promises he made for you and for your children, how the gospel is going to be working and moving through them. He wants them to stop. He wants to kill your kids. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to hurt you. He wants to disease your body. That's what he wants to do. He wants to do whatever he can to get you to curse God and just die. Or to just get you to lay down and lose. Just to get you to quit standing. Quit living like a worthy citizen of that kingdom that I hate. What do I have to do? What do I have to do to just make you sully the name of that kingdom? What do I have to do to make you claim the name Christian and yet look like you still belong to me? What do I have to do? What do I have to do to get you to not stand and fight? That's what the enemy wants to do. You've got to be ready for that. You've got to know that's what he wants to do. You've got to know the only thing that keeps the enemy from killing your kids today is the good hand of your sovereign father. That's the only thing. Because if if God wasn't keeping him from doing that, he would have your kids this moment. He would take your life. He would ruin it if he could. That's the war he wants to bring to you. So you have to be ready for that. You have to be expecting that that's what he wants to do. So how do we stand? Christians stand and nothing can shake them. Nothing can frighten them. So we must, as we're looking at this, we must be ready for anything because anything is exactly what the enemy is trying to figure out to bring against you. He's not just trying to, he's not just trying to turn you into Job. He knows exactly what you're afraid of. And that's what he wants to do. He doesn't just want to rehash Job. He's not just playing a, a blanket game. He's playing a, a very specific war against you. What is the anything that he might bring? That's what you've got to be ready for. Now that itself, you're like, we're not supposed to be frightened. And I'm, I'm glad I don't have my coffee because I would have spit it out right there just as you were talking about it. Uh, it's like, don't, don't, don't be frightened by anything. But no, he wants to kill you and your children. It's like, oh great, I already failed. Uh, now we got to do a time of confession because I've already, you know, I just said all that the Lord has said I will do and I in the middle of the sermon didn't do it. Uh, there are two things because it seems, it, it, it seems frightening. There, it's not frightening though. If you remember two things. Two things that will keep you from, from, from being frightened. One, uh, the first thing is if you expect it. 
It's not, it's not shocking if you expect it. This is why scary movies normally aren't that scary. Uh, it's, like, it's like when you watch a scary movie with Gideon or whatever or anybody, uh, you can tell something's about to happen when the soundtrack changes, right? Uh, the musical change, you go, okay, here it comes, here it comes. There's about to be like a jump scare, uh, and you're ready for it. The things that are scary are the ones you're not prepared for. When you think everything's going normal, and then boo, and that's when you, that's when you do the surprise. But for us, it's not frightening to us if we expect it. If you, if you though, set a, a, a limit of what could happen to you, if, if your own sort of ground rules, we'll realize your rules don't count in this war. You don't get to say this would never happen. That would, could never happen. But if you know that your opponents could do anything, want to do anything, then nothing shocks you. If you're ready for anything, if you're ready for literally anything, then there's no surprise attack that the enemy can do on you. Nothing that will shock you and make you go, I didn't expect that. Because you're ready for anything. So that's the first thing. If, you, if you're not going to be afraid, one of the ways to not be frightened by this, by what the Lord is, is saying is one, to expect anything. The other thing, this isn't frightening if, again, like we mentioned earlier, you know that God is the one in control of the anything. And we're going to see more of this uh, later in verse 29. Again, Satan, Satan cannot simply do what he wants to do to the citizens of God's kingdom. You're, his, you're God's citizens. You're God's children. And Satan can't just do to you what he wants to do. God will not allow Satan to do what he wants to do. God will not allow Satan to do anything that you can't stand against. God will not allow Satan to do something that has to make you fall, that has to make you quit standing. He will not allow it. He will not permit Satan to do to you what you're not equipped for, what he has not equipped you for. God will not allow the enemy to bring against you something that he himself has not already equipped you for that battle. It will not happen. He will not allow it. He is a good father, and he makes that promise. And this this is important. Because that means if anything comes your way, if any temptation, any struggle, any battle comes your way, it has been pre-approved by your loving Heavenly Father. Because he will not allow Satan to bring anything your way that that he has not already pre-approved to happen to you. So this temptation that you're facing, this battle that you're facing, this stretching that you go, there's no way I can stand under this burden. It is too great. I must fall. I must quit. I must give in. It has, not just you, but it has been weighed and measured and allowed. It is not too great of a burden for you or your father would not have allowed it. Not to break you, but, but but to stretch you. To stretch you. Because what do we know? In the end, what does the stretching do? The stretching grows you. The Lord will allow things to come your way that will stretch you, but not things that will break you. So anything that comes your way has already been pre-approved by your heavenly father. You need to remember that. So when a temptation, it's like when you go on the, I I tell you what, I've got the world's best credit apparently because credit cards are always coming to me and saying, you've been pre-approved. And I go, you didn't check. Uh, You know, like all the time, pre-approved for this. You need to recognize when when a temptation or struggle comes your way, 
You won't be frightened if you remember it only gets to you after passing under the eye and inspection of your heavenly father. For him to say, you, no, you can bear this. You can, stand. you can live a worthy life for me as a citizen of my kingdom. As my child, you can do this. You can stand or I wouldn't let it come to you. And that's, that's invigorating. That keeps you from being frightened by it because you know, you know this isn't happenstance. You know this isn't chaos. And you know this isn't more than you can bear. If you know those things, or, or maybe better, if you remember those things, because a lot of times we know those things, but in the midst of the battle, we tend to forget them. Uh, if you remember those things, then you'll be ready for anything and, and you'll stand. You'll stand and you'll stand. And great, you can say, look, you stand and you do these three things and that's what you do. But I think Paul has some final important points that will help us in our standing. So why is it important that we fight as worthy citizens standing like this? Why is it important that when we fight, we fight standing, that we stand as one, that we stand and fight together, that we stand you know, ready for anything? Why is that so important for God's people to do that in spiritual war specifically? Well, Paul tells us, that when you do this, when you stand like this, it's actually a very effective attack against the enemy. It's very effective. Look at what he says uh, in verse 29. Actually, the end of verse 28. This is a clear sign to them of, you, of their destruction. So when you do this, this is a clear sign, of them, a sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God so when we as Christians when we stand and when we stand the right way when we stand as one when we're fighting uh, standing and fighting together when we're ready for anything when we stand like that it's frightening but not to us but to them that's the one who ends up being frightened. When you and I stand the right way, it's the enemy that gets frightened. So when our opponents do the nastiest things that they can think of, the worst things they can think of, and in the end, we're standing, that's scary. It's like, that, it's like the scene in like every action movie, right? Where the bombs go off and boom, 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 and the smoke's everywhere, and you think, oh, they finally got the bad guy. And who comes stepping out of the smoke? And it's like, What? They're still alive. How are they still alive? That's what our enemies see when they attack us with the anything that they can think of. In the end, not only are we still standing, we're not even afraid. We're not even shaking. We're not standing, but, you know, we got, anyone who knows me knows, like, my hands shake as if my body is in, in preparing for Parkinson's or something. Like, uh, it, just, it just does this all the time. And, and I remember that I'll be doing things and people are like, are you really nervous? And I'm like, no, why? And they're like, you're shaking. I was like, I do this. It's what I do all the time. Uh, but if someone's nervous, they'll be standing there. And you know, that's not what we're doing. It's not like, all right, I'm ready for this. You know, like, here we go. Uh, and, you know, we got a, our sword in our hand and our shield, but we're just like, this is like vibrating because we're so afraid. They'll see us standing. They've done everything they can to us, anything that they're allowed to do. And they see us not only standing, but standing and not afraid. To them, that's the frightening. That's who ends up being frightened. When you stand, who ends up being frightening is not frightened is not you. You end up not frightened. You end up frightening. Because you standing is, is absolutely scary 
to your opponents. Because in the end, when they do the anything and the smoke clears, it's not just you standing. It's all of us. I mean, that's what it's all been about. Stand as one, fighting as one, fighting side by side, striving. So, so when the enemy throws things, he's not just throwing things at you. When the enemy, when the enemy brings temptation uh, to Megan, he's bringing temptation to Megan and to our church. When he brings temptation to Miss Nancy, he's bringing temptation not just to get at Miss Nancy, but to get at our body. When he brings suffering to me, he's not just bringing suffering to me. He doesn't want just me to fall. He wants us to fall. And so he'll try to get through any of us to get to all of us. And in the end, when we stand, again, it's not just, it's not just one of us standing at the end, it's all of us. So the only thing scarier than one man still standing is a whole army still standing together and not afraid, not touched by what the evil one can do. This standing, it says, shows them something. And it shows them something, I love it. It shows them something clearly. It's not even vaguely. It's not even that they look at it. It says, it says this is a clear sign to them. It's not something that, the, the, that your opponents are going to look at and go, you think maybe I kind of, I kind of like through vaguely see this. Idea. Okay, so as the smoke clears over you, it also clears from in front of their eyes too. And what do they see? For them, it is a clear sign, something very clear. What does it show them? It shows them three things. It shows them three things. One, it shows them that they're going to lose. Shows them their destruction, it says. The second thing it shows them is that we're going to win our salvation. And the third thing it shows them is that God is on our side, not theirs. And that by God. It's going to show them that God is for us and God is against them. And that is going to frighten them. When we come out of the flames, that's when they spit, shocked and afraid so when we stand together, when we fight together and we're ready for anything that they've got, they st- the, the, the enemy starts to see things very clearly. They start to see that they're going to lose and we're going to win. And why? Because God is against them and God is for us. And they will see that clearly when we stand. Because the truth is, even their actions were guided by God. Look at verse 29. <laughs> so, so even there, and we talked a little bit about this, but look, what they, what they have done is in the end, they're going to see guided by God to assure us and to scare them. Look at what it says in verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. So, so verse 28 is what they can see clearly their defeat, our victory, uh, God's hand. This is what they and we must see clearly. It says it has the first thing we should see clearly is God's grace. In the in the so they see their they see our salvation, well their destruction, our salvation, God's hand in it, and now we need to see the same thing. So so the first thing we see is God's grace. The word there granted is just the the word in the Bible for grace. The word charis. Uh, it's the word grace. We just don't use the word grace that way. It, like if, if, if they translated it, it has been graced to you. It would just sound weird because we don't, we don't use it that way. I would, of course, translate it that way because I'd rather us have to figure out how to deal with it and think about it than I would a translator just deciding for me. 
But this verse, verse 29, is, this is all about God's grace. This has been graced to you, these things. These things are grace. So everything that happens, everything that we talk, everything that was just done, it was done in grace. It is the grace of God that what? For the sake of Christ. And this gets back to what we, what we talked about at the start of this and what we've talked about three weeks ago. Now, this, this whole idea that this is all, if you want to stand in, in, and, and battle and battle rightly, it's going to be when you're standing for the sake of Christ's name. You're fighting for his holification. You're standing as worthy citizens of his kingdom. That's what drives you. All we're, but here the Lord tells us all that we're going through as, as citizens for the gospel of Christ. All this that we, we, we've got to stand against, we're going through by God's hand for the sake of his son, for the sake of Christ's name. Our standing is essential, not for our glory, but his. Which is again, why God made sure that he does not allow anything to come your way that you cannot stand because he cares about you? Yes. But also because he knows whose name you bear. And he will not let anything be done that disparages the name of Christ. And so he graced to you to allow this suffering to come to you for the sake of Christ. Which again takes us back to the whole way that we fight. We fight to be worthy citizens of that kingdom. And God says, yeah, that's why I have you fighting. So you would prove to be worthy citizens. And as worthy citizens, that that no matter what the enemy does, not only will Christ stand, but his children will stand. His brothers and sisters will stand. His people will stand. That is holifying to the name of Christ. So God's, God's grace is running all of this, which we must see Clearly. And so he says, I mean, from the very beginning. So he starts to talk about this, that, that for the sake of Christ, this should happen. But, but from beginning to end, because what do we see in God's grace? God's grace, we'll see it in belief. For, for the sake of Christ, you should not only be- believe in him. So we know your belief in God is, is at all is grace. Paul assumes that we already know that. He doesn't go into it. He doesn't even talk about it. He just assumes that we already have that stored up. He's he's graced you not only to believe, which you already know. I don't need to go into that, Paul is saying. So we, we know none of us would even believe. None of us would even be in this kingdom if it were not for the grace of God. None of us would, be, would believe if it were not for the faith that God has given us. If he didn't change our hearts of stone and cause us to believe. So we know your belief is all grace. We know that. But he's saying not only, not only has he graced you to, to, for the sake of Christ, believe. So that's grace. Your belief in Christ is grace. That's grace to you. To even be in this kingdom is all grace. But what else? So also the suffering. He says, but also suffer for his sake. So not only is it, has God graced you through Christ to, to, or for the sake of Christ to believe in him, but also he's graced you to suffer. The suffering is grace as well. God has graced you not only to believe, which we all know, but also to suffer for his sake. So the suffering is also a grace. If you go through suffering, Know that you are going through your suffering by the grace of God. 
or you would not be going through it. That's true even, I mean, that's true even if the suffering you're going through is just punishment, just a consequence for your sin. If, even if it's just discipline, even if the suffering is suffering you've brought on yourself, even that is grace. It's always true that, that, that what, every time, it's, from, it's not just true in Genesis, it's always been true from the beginning, that, that what, what the enemy means for evil, God uses for good. Again, that, that's not just true in sort of Josephine moments in your life, right? It's always true. The suffering is grace. And he says, and it's all for Christ, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only be but also suffer for him. It's all for Christ. And the last thing he says, and it's not new. It's not new. Think about what he says to Corinthians that, None, the, no, no temptation has overtaken us such as is common to man. So every temptation that you're going through, not only has someone gone through it, but it's common. And it's like, I don't, uh, you know, we like to think that, none of, that our temptations and my struggles, no one else has gone through. No one, he said, not only have other people gone through it, it's actually a common struggle that you're going through. Like, well, can it be like less common maybe? Like maybe a little bit harder than everybody? Well, here he says the same thing. What you, they're going through is not new. Paul says, you're going through this, which, what? Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul says, what God has graced you to go through that you're trying to stand is something that I've been going through and then still going through. And I want you to notice in that, in that verse there at the end in verse 30, uh, that's kind of a friendly slap. A friendly slap in the sense of suffering is something not unusual to the life of the Christian. And, and the fact that you might be going, that God might bring suffering into your life, that God might grace suffering you, isn't because he's just, oh no, just decided to grace you with suffering. He says, look, you're going through the suffering. God has graced you. But the good thing is, you know that what God has graced you to, to suffer, you've already, you already know that I have gone through and that I'm still going through. And if you remember that, and remember that you, you will see God in your suffering, not apart from it. Then suffering will not cause you to doubt God's presence. Suffering will actually be an assurance of the presence of God. I mean, if suffering is chaos and things happen to you or don't happen to you, and it's all just random chance, it's like the Christian version of some quasi-spiritual evolution. Like, who knows what might come your way in a billion dice rolls of all the things that happened to all the Christians, this happened to happen to you. Well, that's true. Then it's like, well, man, what bad luck for me. But if instead, every suffering that comes your way comes to you by the grace of God, you will see all those sufferings differently. It will change how you view them, and that will change how you handle them. It will not cause you to doubt if God is there. In fact, the presence of the suffering will remind you that God is there, because nothing can come my way except by the hand of my good heavenly Father. 
And so this is why it's so essential that we handle spiritual warfare rightly and our, our struggles rightly and our, our times of stretching rightly. Remember, that's what the word temptation means. You know, do not lead me into temptation. Do not lead me into stretching, but deliver me from me. This is the, this is the crazy outcome that happens. I mean, this is, I, I love these verses. I love them. But, uh, because look at the crazy outcome that happens when you and I just stand and we fight and we're not afraid. Look at when the enemy brings all this against us and God, by his grace, lets it come because he, he knows that we're worthy citizens. He's, he's not telling us to become worthy citizens. He knows who we are. He knows we're citizens of this. He knows what he's done to our hearts. He knows what he's equipped us for. He knows what he's spent years strengthening us for. And when God allows that, what's the crazy outcome? When we fight like citizens worthy of Christ's kingdom, what happens in the end? They see God. And so do we. When we will stand in the end, our enemies will see God and so will we. When we don't, when we don't stand, when we fall, what's the outcome? No one sees God. No one sees God. They don't, we don't. They don't see God. They just see our failures. It causes them to mock God. It unholifies the name of Christ. We don't see God in it. We doubt God. We doubt other believers. Our eyes are just on ourselves, just on our situation. We can't see grace. We can't see victory. But if we will stand, if we will stand as one, we'll stand and fight. We will not be afraid. If we will be these worthy citizens of the gospel, in the end, and in the middle of it, we will see God and so will our enemies. And that will scare them, frighten them, and encourage us. So let's look at some uses from this, this, this passage. A couple of things that I think just we as a church have to make sure that we're doing, that you as an individual have to make sure that you're doing in light of uh, our pledge to obey what the Lord has called us to do. The first thing is you've just got to be ready. You've got to be ready. And you have to evaluate yourself. Say, am I ready? You've got to be, and you've got to be ready for suffering. And the truth is some of us just, we're just not ready for suffering. And we see that, we know that because we already know what level of suffering we can't stand. So we're not, I mean, we're not ready for all, we're not ready for anything because look at the stuff that the enemy's been able to bring against us and we're like, that we already can't stand under. What level of discomfort can, can already make us, make our knees shake, make us give up? What can already make us discontent? Now, what I like to do is when you're going through a suffering that you didn't handle well, you didn't handle it well, you weren't a worthy citizen of the kingdom, you didn't talk to your husband like you should, you didn't talk to your wife like you should, you didn't talk to your kids like you should, or, you know, you talked about them like you shouldn't, uh, whatever it is, whatever that, that situation is, I, and you go, well, it was, just, it was just a really hard time. I like to imagine myself going to the early church and trying to share that as a really hard time right? Uh, I like to imagine myself with the early apostles, with the early disciples, the early church, you know, in caves sort of thing, uh, writing Jesus fish on the wall and being like, they're all talking about their suffering. Me going like, well, let me tell you about my day. Uh, and doing that shows us just how unprepared we are for any real suffering. 
And yet we will in the midst of that suffering ask, act as if the cross that we're bearing is oh so great. And then make excuses for why we didn't bear it well. And what it really showed us is just we're just not ready for suffering. Of even the most minute kind. And we've got to be ready. We've got to, I, mean, it's a, I mean, when we talk about that, and, I, and if I were to say, could, would you share your suffering with the early church? And, 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 or would you be like, no, nah, I'm good. Like we went around in a circle and everyone in the early church was like, man, uh, my husband got skinned alive today because he claimed he was a Christian. Uh, like, Ugh. And then it gets to you and you're like, I'm good. Uh, nothing to share here. Uh, if that's true, what should you do? I mean, one, it's embarrassing to think that, right? It's, it's, and you should, I mean, we should be embarrassed when we think about how little the struggles are that sometimes make us feel like, I can't stand this. Be embarrassed by that. But don't just be embarrassed. Confess. Confess and, and see how that shows you just how not ready for suffering you are. So in other words, you're not just supposed to see I'm not ready for suffering. Well, I'm just a Christian not ready for suffering. You're supposed to see, look at how minor the suffering was and I failed. And I tried to pull other people down in my failure. Like not only did I not stand, but as I was going down, I was like, hey, want to join me? Hey, want to join me? Uh, Recognize that, confess it, and look at your life and say, well, I need to be prepared. I need to be prepared. So we got to be ready for suffering. We got to be ready to view suffering rightly. So you've got to be ready for suffering, Christian. And you've got to be ready to see that suffering in the right way. If suffering comes your way, as it did to the Philippians, and your enemy certainly wants it to come your way, you've got to be ready to see it the right way, which is you've got to be ready to see your suffering as grace. If you don't see your suffering as grace, you'll start blaming God for your suffering, which is the opposite thing should happen. You start blaming God. It doesn't look like grace. It looks like punishment. And again, some of us aren't ready to see it as grace yet. Not only are we not ready for suffering, we're not ready to see suffering as grace. And and that's why we can't stand it very long, because we don't see it as grace. Because because when I talk about suffering as grace, I mean, this is the one time in your life you're asking God, God, please don't be gracious to me. (laughs) Right? You're like, suffering is grace. God, I've got a lot of grace. I don't feel like I don't need any more grace. Uh, I am filled up with grace. Thank you, Lord. Um, right? And you know, who wants to say grace? Not me. Not me, right? Don't, I mean, we don't want to be foolish. Don't, don't ask for suffering. That's not what I'm saying. Don't be like, suffering is grace, so I'm going to ask for suffering. God, please bring suffering my way. Don't, don't ask for suffering, but make sure that you know down in your heart that if suffering does come your way, if the Lord does allow it, that the root of all suffering is grace. Or in the end, you'll, you'll find out that you can't stand it. You can't stand it. There'll be something that comes your way, some form of suffering that comes your way that God by his grace has allowed to come your way. And if you don't see it as grace, you won't stand. You've got to see every ounce of suffering that comes your way as coming by the grace of God, or you won't be able to stand it. And then you won't be able to stand so we've got to ask you, are you ready for suffering? And are you ready to see suffering rightly? You've got to be ready for suffering. You've got to be ready to see it rightly. And you must be, not only must you be ready, ready for suffering, ready to see suffering rightly, you must be ready for anything. Anything. And I want to focus on the anything because that's what the Lord says. And, and he says, and not frightened by not one thing. Not frightened by not one any. Not one thing that the enemy could bring our way. So, so when I ask, you've got to be ready for anything. Ask yourself, what is the anything that you're not ready for? 
When I say you've got to be ready for anything, what is the one thing that pops in your head and goes, okay, but not that? Not that. I'm ready. Are you ready for anything? I'm ready for anything. But in your head, you're thinking, but if this happens, I will fall. What are you f- so frightened of that the enemy might do? What do you, in your head, you say, I know if the enemy does this, I will not stand. I know I will fall if this happens and this happens or this happens. If you already know what you're not ready for, understand this. Well, one thing you've got to understand is if you're looking at that and saying, I don't feel like I'm ready for that. Understand, you may not be ready because God... God doesn't give pre-grace, right? Uh, so God's only going to allow you to, to take on what you can handle, but not all of us are ready to handle the same things. God will not allow something to come into your life that he then doesn't give you the grace for then. But he doesn't pre-grace all of us now for everything that might ever happen sometime. But no, if something does come your way, God will not allow it to come your way until he gives you the grace. So right now you're like, I couldn't handle that. Well, that might be true just because you haven't been given the grace to handle that yet because you're not going through it and you're not about to go through it. So God doesn't give you the grace for what you're not battling. But the other thing is prepare yourself for how you should be ready and what being ready would look like. What would it look like if you were ready? What would it look like if you did have the grace to be able to stand? And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about our, you know, when I say, you know, think about, you know, what, what should you be ready for? I'm, I'm, again, I'm not talking about our, our sort of, an, you know, unhinged worry or anxiety. I mean, if you do that, if, you, if, if I say, think about the thing that you're not ready for and all you do is just, just go crazy and all the ways that you could be anxious, this could happen or this could happen or this could happen. I'm not talking about that. That's, 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 a, that's preparing to fail. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about preparing yourself to fail. If this happens, I'll do this. If this happens, I'll do that. What I'm talking about is asking yourself, what is the worst? And when I think of the worst, what are the worst things that could happen? And then to say, If that does happen, instead of saying, I can't handle that, if it does happen, what would it look like to stand worthy in that moment? Just to ask yourself that. What? So you may think, oh, I'm not worthy to stand. But if someone was worthy, what would they do? If someone was ready, what actions would they take? What what would that look like? What things would they know are true? What things would they have to remember? The the reason that's important is is because it's good to know the game plan before the battle. To, To know your foundations, to keep yourself from falling down. So one of the ways you can think of it is, is to, if you're thinking about, I know, so if, if I were reading the, a story in the scriptures about a believer who went through that, how would I expect that person to have responded? If you already know that in your head, if you've already got your response mapped out, then when it comes, you're not having to fight the battle of, well, what should I even do? You already know what you should do. And now, because it's come to you, God has given you the grace to actually do it. Like right now you're looking at what a believer should do and you're going, there's no way I could do that. I know what I should do, but there's no way. It's because you haven't been given the grace yet. But when it comes, know already how you should respond. So think of some of the worst things that you could have happen. What would be the worst? would be the anything that you go, there's no way I could stand in that. And so I don't care if you could stand or not. What I want you to do is think what would standing look like? 
What would it look like if you could? Because what I know is if it does come your way, it will come your way when God has given you the grace to be able to stand. And if you already know what you should do, it'll make it even easier. So think about what is the word. You got to be ready for anything. Have your response mapped out, knowing what you should do so that when the battle comes, you already know how you should respond. Instead of having to, you know, pull out the scriptures and flip or call, you, you know what you should do. And, and now you know it and you've been given the grace to actually do it. And here's just some, uh, some advice that I think we don't think of because we don't think of the spiritual very often. But I tell people this uh, in counseling and stuff like that because I think it's useful. Uh, useful advice. Loose lips sink ships, right? I'd say this. Quit telling the enemy what you're not ready for. Quit telling the enemy. what I mean, sometimes the enemy knows what you're not ready for because he hears it from your own lips. I mean, Satan is not prescient. And he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything all the time. But for some of us, he doesn't have to because we say, I tell you what I can't, couldn't stand. I know what I would. Man, if this happened, I would. And it'd be things like, if he says one more thing, well, Satan's like, okay. Uh, so don't, I mean, don't tell. Satan, Satan already has 6,000 years of experience in frightening people and in bringing things their way that will cause them to fall. Um, you don't have to make it where he doesn't even have to try and guess what would be a, a stretch for you. So some of, our, some of our greatest struggles sometimes are really just self-fulfilling prophecies because we've, we've, we've told the enemy uh, what it was and the enemy is real and he's not dumb. Uh, so don't say, like if Job were going around saying, oh, I sure love God, I'd hate it if my kids died. Uh, you know, that would be, Satan would be like, ah, aha. Uh, so, you know, maybe say out loud things you actually want to have happen. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'd sure hate it if I were rich. That'd be really a struggle for me. Uh, but, but genuinely, the enemy is listening. And so it's good not to say those things out loud because the enemy is real. And it's also good not to say those things out loud because they're lies and they're untrue and they're preparations for failure. Uh, and so, so just... Just don't let things out for, for multiple reasons. Just silly to say those things. Uh, next, you must stand and you must fight for, for two reasons. One, you must stand and you must fight for the sake of your opponents. You must stand and you must fight for the sake of your opponents. We see this in verse 29, right? And, and, and here's why it's so important. Why must you stand against everything? Because when you do, what do your opponents see? They don't just see you. What do they see? Your opponents see God. They see your salvation. They see their destruction. And they see both of those things happening by God's hand. And I think this is Paul telling us how to heap coals on our enemies' heads. This is overcoming evil with good. This is Romans 12. This is overcoming evil with good. When you stand and fight your opponents who hate the gospel, because Paul's talking about very real opponents who are being used by the evil one, but very real Roman authorities and such, not that are going to be a, a problem. When you stand and you fight your opponents who hate the gospel, what do they end up seeing? They end up seeing what? Your opponents who hate the gospel, what do they end up seeing? They end up seeing the gospel. Because that's what that is. Their destruction, your salvation, and all by the hand of God. The destruction of the wicked, the salvation of God's people, and all by God's sovereignty. I mean, if standing and fighting 
is one of the world's greatest evangelistic tools. It is ever effective. One of the greatest evangelistic tools in the world is just faithful, obedient Christians who refuse to give in to their sin. That is a tool that God says will cause your enemies to see their destruction and to see your salvation and all of it by the hand of God. You want your neighbors to to see that they're on their way to hell? You want a a family member to recognize that, man, they're on a life of utter destruction and damnation and they want to see that the only hope is salvation? Just like you have been saved, you want them to see that? You want them to see God? What do you do? Live an obedient, faithful Christian life that fails to give in to your sin. I mean, think about that the next time the enemy tempts you. Either in front of or sometimes through someone you love that is lost. When that someone might might even be the means that the evil one is using to bring the suffering, to bring the temptation. Let them see the gospel. Let them see the gospel clearly. A clear sign to them. When they see you stand instead of fall. And when they see you fight instead of fail. And this is why, you know, so many times, you know, we want, we want someone to be saved in our, in our sphere, in our life, in our neighbors. But you know what they see us doing? Falling all the time. One of the, you, you, want your, you want a friend to come to faith? Well, don't get on the phone and gossip to them. You want a family member to live a more faithful Christian life? Well, let them see you standing and fighting. Because when you do that, it causes people to see things clearly. Our lives can preach an eye-opening gospel message. Through the simple act of standing and fighting because you're a citizen of Christ's kingdom. Because when you do, they will see. Your life will preach that clear gospel message and they will see. They will see you and they will see themselves. And more importantly, they will see him. That's why it's essential you stand. That's why it's essential you don't give in. That's why it's essential you don't fail, you don't fall, but you stand, you stand as one, you stand and fight, and you stand ready for anything. Because when you do, your opponents will see the gospel in your worthy gospel living. Next, you must see God's grace even in your suffering. So you must stand, you must fight for the sake of your opponents, and we've got to see God's grace in our suffering. I mean, we talked about being ready for anything. We talked now, but now I want to talk about we've got to see suffering as grace. We've got to. That's an essential. I mean, God's grace is all over our life. We know we're citizens of the kingdom by God's grace, the grace that caused us to believe, and it's it's God's grace still that's brought suffering to you. If you don't see your suffering as grace, then you probably won't be able to stand it. And you'll eventually quit standing. If you don't see it as grace. And if you don't see that it's not even an uncommon grace what you're going through isn't even you're not even the suffering that God has graced you with is not even some special dispensation to you it's not because you're some some super soldier that God must have given you some extra grace to be able to deal with this it's not even uncommon I mean having having it hard 
is not an unusual situation to you. And it's not even that unusual, no matter what our wailings might say. What we're going through is normal. What does Paul tell the Philippians? Your suffering is hard. This is a battle. But what is it not? It's not new. And it's not unusual. And it's not unexpected. So remember that. Paul said, you've seen me. You've heard that I was going through it. Similar things. And you see that I'm still going through it. Remember that, Christian. Remember God's grace. And remember that's not even uncommon grace. And let's get over ourselves a little bit. And confess, confess our unpreparedness for this grace of battle. I mean, if, if you couldn't stand under the onslaught of a nagging wife, if you, if you couldn't stand under the great assault of having children wanting to talk to you all day long, what makes you think that you are a Christian warrior ready for real battle. God's grace is seen in your defeat showing you just how unprepared you are for real war. Your suffering is grace. And it's actually a pretty common grace even in the world of the last days. So what do you do? I'm not prepared. I'm having to confess all these things. I haven't been ready. There's a lot of times I've failed. A lot of times I've fallen and I'm looking at my life saying, I'm supposed to live worthy of the kingdom. And I'm seeing all the times I didn't stand. I'm thinking that my kingdom garb is a little bit soiled. I'm thinking that if if people looked at my life and saw all the times that I didn't stand, they're going to look at my gospel uniform and think, well, what does that say? I have to rub a lot of dirt off of it because the insignia is a little worn out from falling on the ground all the time. So what should you do if that's been the case and you're not standing or you haven't stood? Maybe it's a time right now that you're on the ground right now. There's something that you've gone through and you haven't handled it well right now. And you still haven't confessed it. And you still aren't ready for battle. So you're still laying down. You've already lost the battle. So what do you do? What do you do if you're not ready for this? What if you're not ready for anything? What if you've been knocked down? What do you do? Some of us, need to stand back up. It's simple. Some of us just need to stand back up. Some of you are realizing that you are down, that you quit standing, or that you quit fighting. Some of you, the grace of God is showing you. So the grace of God that that, that brought this action your way that you could have stood in but didn't, the grace of God has not departed from you, right? The Spirit of the Lord has not left you. You're not in some Sauline situation. The grace of God is still there, but now it's showing you how you have fallen. It's showing you when you didn't stand. It's showing you that you can talk a good game about standing and fighting, but a lot of times you do it while you're laying on the mat in a fight that maybe no one else knows about. You're not standing in this area or you're not standing in that area. No, you're standing in in this area that you're talking to other people about. But you're not standing in that one You quit. You quit on being the right type of husband that you should be. You just quit. You just got tired of it. And all it took was was a little dripping of rain to do it. You lost your temptation. 
to be this type of wife? You're, 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 you're talking about your struggle, but you're doing it from the floor. You're not struggling anymore. You've given in. You've already failed. God's grace is opening your eyes to these things. It's kind of embarrassing. What I don't want is for this passage to just point out how you didn't stand. And that's not the point of the Philippian passage. It's for some Philippians to realize, I didn't stand. This is just for the people who've never, ever fallen in their life before, right? What should you do if you're, if you're seeing these things? Get back up. Get up and see God's grace in showing you that you were down. Because again, sometimes we're down and we don't even realize we're down. Sometimes we're down and we didn't. I, I have been in spiritual battles where I felt like I was fighting and I did a lot of talking and I talked to other people about the struggle and all this. And one of the, one of the things that was the greatest conviction was I had to realize I'm down. I'm not standing and fighting. I've already lost. What I need to do is get back up. I don't need to be laying on the mat going, this is such a hard battle. Dude, you're on the floor. You're not standing anymore. So what did I need to do? I need to see God's grace to show me that I wasn't standing, to show me wherever. It's His grace that helps you to stand and to keep standing, but it's also His grace that shows you where you fell so that you can stand back up. If He didn't show you where you had fallen, you would be laying on the floor and not even realizing it. You'd just still be laying on the floor, feeling like you were standing. If you failed to stand, the answer is simple. Stand. Not been the mom or the wife you needed to be. You realize that now. You've seen the, the struggle that you're in and you know you should have been able to face it. You know that God had given you the grace to face it. And you think about it and you go, man, I have failed miserably in that at times. Or maybe failing miserably right now. What should you do? Get up and be that type of mom. Get up and be that type of wife. You're not the husband, not the father you need to be. Get up, stand and fight. Look at where you fell. What caused you to fall? And be ready for it this time. Maybe you weren't ready for the anything, but you better be ready for it now. Because he's already used it. Any, if, you can, if you get in a battle and you fall, let's say, let's say you're, you're, you're boxing, you're in a fight, and the guy catches you with the upper hook, uppercut. You know what you better be ready for next time? The uppercut. And if you walk back into that fight and you got your chin sticking out there like this and he tags you again, that's on you. But you don't just lay on the floor. You get up and you fight and you're ready for that thing. You may not have been ready for it, but you're ready now. What did Satan do that caused you to, let's just say your husband, what did Satan do that caused you to quit leading your family the way you should? Well, don't let that catch you this time. What was it that Satan brought? It? Maybe, maybe it was your wife. Maybe it was your kids. Maybe it was your job situation. Maybe it was finances, time. You're just bad time management, whatever it is. And you go, I fell in this. I failed. I did not stand. I wasn't being a worthy citizen of God's kingdom of being a, a father like this or a husband like that. Well, don't just lay on the ground. Get up and stand and be that. Be that. In fact, push back against it before he even throws the punch this time. Stand and fight. Stand and then fight against it. Push back before his attack even begins. You haven't been the child that that honors your parents. Your children, you're looking at your life and, and the, the same is true for you. You need to be a worthy citizen of the kingdom. And you think, you know, I've been kind of a, I've been not a good friend. I've been not a good child, not a good son, not a good daughter. I haven't been honoring my parents the way that I should. 
And I've been taking advantage of the, the wisdom that God has given me in, in their life. In fact, I've been chafing at their wisdom. What do you do? Have you seen, I've failed. I've failed. I've failed as a child. I've failed as a son. I've failed as a daughter. Well, just get up. They've, they've been where you've been before. What, what, what they want, what your parents want, what God wants is for you to stand back up. So if, we, if we've gone through all this and we see what we're supposed to do, what we need to do is stand up uh, and, and fight. So as citizens of the kingdom, because we are citizens of the gospel, we must stand, we must fight. Uh, as, as one, we must fight, standing and fighting together. Nothing should scare us because we know at the end of whatever our particular battle, it is our enemies that will be frightened, we who will be blessed. How can we know that? Because exactly what we're about to do. How can we know we can stand? How can we know that in the end it is our enemies that will be afraid, our enemies that will be triumphed over, our enemies that will fall, and we that will be blessed because Christ stood firm to the end as an example to you in order to win your victory. Every failed battle, every time you didn't stand, every time you fell, see that in this sacrifice paid for by Jesus so that you and I can stand and fight by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you this morning. And Lord, as we prepare to take of this Lord's Supper, a reminder to us that victory comes through suffering. And that, Father, the fact that we can even stand in suffering is a sign already of the great victory that is being won in us by our Heavenly Father. Because we wouldn't even need need to stand if you hadn't caused us to believe. There'd be no fight to be in if you had not, by your grace, given us faith. And, Father, that grace continues in every battle. May we see it. May we know it. May we be prepared for anything. May the world see the gospel in our faith and our obedience. And may we be worthy citizens of your kingdom. And may that kingdom come, even as you deliver us from evil. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.